0: This episode of Your Neighborhood Black Friends is brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th and Washington. This Thursday, October 7th, come see Portland's longest-running monthly hip-hop showcase, The Thesis, at 9 p.m. Tickets start at $15. Learn more at kellysolympian.com, and thank you, Kelly's. Hey,
1: neighbor. Welcome back to Your Neighborhood Black Friends with myself, Cameron Witten, and my co-star, Gregory McKelvey. And today we had an absolutely amazing, fantastic, and kind of long interview with our district attorney for Montnomah County, Mike Schmidt. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Your Neighborhood Black Friends. We are here having a special episode, myself, Cameron Witten, with my co-star.
0: Green McKelvey, you never know when I'm allowed to
1: talk in the intros, <laughs> but yeah, here I am. I'm trying to try to, yo, okay, you know, we where, are a domestic we, partnership, so I'm going to give you the space, honey. We have chemistry, but like, yeah. We do have fun. chemistry. <laughs> and speaking of chemistry, he's about to get even more chemical over here with our guest today. <laughs> we have the Multnomah County District Attorney, Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt most recently worked as the Executive Director for the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission. And he has swagger he won his recent election for da again not coming from the da department and yet still winning with truly a landslide like had to redefine the definition of landslide 76 to 24 i'm sure you know the numbers and even after winning the current incumbent who wasn't running decided to resign early so that Mike could swagger in even like, what, like, was it seven months early?
2: It was five months early. Yeah.
1: Five months early. Isn't that swagger?
0: that's just that's the he platform now you have to speak <laughs> he was on a plane and they're like yo you got 17 open murder cases as of right now wow <laughs>
2: man i i remember day one i remember it vividly so yeah uh right so may 19th elected uh as you say overwhelmingly landslide uh yeah. i round up to 77 but 76 is fair <laughs> Uh You but, don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my firm. Whatever, was cool. So uh I wasn't there yet. But you know, uh very seriously, uh six days later, George Floyd's murdered. And right. everything changes. Mm-hmm. Uh we suddenly have the chief of police resigning. Uh and pretty soon on the heels of that, the incumbent district attorney announced that he was gonna step down early. And and previously he had, had said he would finish his term. Uh and so the governor gave me a call and said Uh, are you ready to get started? And I did, I said, yes, um, and got in there. And I remember day one, I mean, it really was ground running. I had 550 cases on my desk. I had to make a decision what to do with. We were already 70 days into uh, protests that the Trump administration had just reignited in this community, Um, and yeah, we hit the ground running. Yeah,
1: okay, so I know you said you were ready, but were you ready? That was gonna be my question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, right? I don't know. I don't know that you can be ready for that moment. I mean, and know what it's gonna be, right? (laughs) Like you think you're ready, and you've been planning, and you've been campaigning, and you've got your ideas and what you're gonna do. But but Jan one and June
1: one are completely different times. Completely different. And and one of the the middle of an uprising. Exactly. One of the
2: first things that I did uh, once I was elected was reach out to community members, and I was like, "Hey, I want to build a transition team." Well, I didn't know my transition was going to be 6 weeks call. instead of 6 months. Yeah, I not know either but
1: whatever cool. <laughs> I, I know why
2: I didn't get a call.
1: Mike, you remember our first I, <laughs> interaction? No, I do. Yes, Mike. Y'all got Schmidt beef? Is probably yes, hella beef. What? Well, he's probably my most high profile prank.
2: <laughs> it, it goes back. Our our beef you did goes back
0: the high back. school thing. Yes, god so damn it. fun fact I to know about hate me <laughs> that he does that. I like be introducing him to my friends and he does and for the people but who that Apparently the know, smartest guy in Oregon felt. That's what he does he goes they're like oh hey it's Mike hey i'm cameron and then cameron goes oh we went to high school together and then you go what you went to Westminster uh Hogwarts and they're like yeah and then and then he goes yeah the dolphins and then he makes a dolphin sound and then leaves and then you're left wondering and then you're left wondering does he Not remember the mascot. (laughs) Did he just completely fuck with me? Or like, what just happened? Or is that a crazy person? And he thinks it's an actual (laughs) like nice way to be introduced (laughs) to people. And I'm just like, those people don't like you after that. You got canceled once
1: for it. No, it is not a nice way. It is a fun way. (laughs) For For me.
0: Hello. But it's so cringe. (laughs) Also, I've been around for it for probably a 100 of them. I would say, like, Two people have been like, You're fucking with me. And like, everybody goes for it. People believe it.
2: I, I left that, uh, you know, you, and, and I was like, No. And he's like, Yeah. And then he said something. <laughs> and he just was so insistent on it. And I was like, No. Because I went to a small school. And I was like, What? And then, what but I felt is? I did fall for it. And then. Was uh, it the
0: dolphins though? Was he didn't. I don't I think he dolphin. said, I didn't
2: think he dolphins. No, I do oh, it. Didn't like, dolphin. His reaction
1: wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Most People like try to like take it with grace so they don't become embarrassed. But he, it was it, like I think we exchanged numbers after that, and he never called me.
2: <gasps> oh, stop! I was on your, I was on your other show uh, during the campaign, but months later, but he did get me, and uh, but I left that, and I immediately like Google Camera Witt and I was like, man, that dude's from Virginia. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But wow. yeah, we've been friends since. We've thank been friends for, ever thank since. Thank you for getting over that pain that I caused you.
2: <laughs> it, it you got pain. me. Um, <laughs>
0: so I'm curious, like, uh, so you come in. You, so, like, obviously there's been almost somewhat bipartisan, at least at the top, this criminal justice reform Movement obviously different on the left and the right, but I think everybody has agreed that the mass incarceration system like doesn't really work. So you're elected like with this wave that has existed, like Kim Kardashian's at the fucking White House getting uh, people out of prison with Trump, like in Van Jones, like so it's like this weird moment where like everybody is agreeing on both sides, like this is big government or it's wasteful or it's wrong or it's racist, like this coalition that's building, and then. You get elected, um, and obviously in a pro- pro- progressive town. Um, and then uprising happens, right? And that, I feel like, kind of puts some wind, or at least people would think some wind at your sails, because it's like, oh, now like you could maybe even take a step further because this massive uprising is happening. And I think you were able to capitalize on that, in a policy way and and be able to make the case on specific policies because they were being made or echoed in the streets as well. Now we are getting sort of the backlash from that, like as the pendulum swings, like how does that feel? Because you can't backtrack, right? And you also have your values that are your values, but that, and it's hard to know, like I have, I mean, there's some polling that we have in different places on different things things have definitely shifted, right, back towards being more carceral, but how do you navigate that? Do you hope the pendulum swings back, which would, you know, sometimes suck because a black person has to die at the hands of the police for that to happen? Like, how can you still push forward if we're now seeing the other side of that pendulum swing?
2: Well, I think, you know, when people talk to me uh, about these things, a lot of times people say, oh, I just hope we can get back to normal, right? Oh, I just hope we can get back to where we were. And, and as if where we were was White working. White people say that. Yeah, but that's yeah. right. That's <laughs> right? But, but it's like people just, and you you get it, right? Uh, we have fatigue from uh, the pandemic and, homelessness. and everything. You know, homelessness. Yeah, like, homeless. And it's, people say, we get back to normal. But we have to remind ourselves that where we were wasn't Working, and right. so we're, we don't want to go back. Um, and we're in a we're in a tricky moment right now, as we are facing very real public safety uh, issues with gun right. violence in our streets. Homicide right. rate is larger than it's been in this community in decades, uh, and we have to resist that bumper sticker solution of "Oh, well, the 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 solution is just uh, tough on crime." We can't mm-hmm. we can't forget. What God, like, everything we learned from the failed experiment of the 90s.
0: Well, what if I... So, like you said, it's worse than it has been for a long time, right? I think, and I don't believe this, but playing devil's advocate, and I know that a lot of your advocates are devils right now. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, not advocating for you, but, it, you know, to you. Um, not all
1: devils, Greg.
0: Well, like, if, what if I said the reason why it's like a chicken or the egg thing right like the reason why gun violence has gone up the reason why there's stuff in the streets and broken windows and people feel the need to or the uh uh like the ability to protest in ways that are destructive to the community because of you um in your policies like how do you say no it's the chicken before <laughs> the egg
2: well first i mean i think we can't discount that you know we were doing it one way for how long 50 60 years and but and, the
0: homicide rates weren't this high
2: so actually you know started, i, I before mean they were you know yeah. in the
0: crack epidemic so how stuff, but. so how
2: would i answer that you know you, there's been already some reports i just saw some that came out obviously this is happening nationally yeah. it's happening in conservative districts. Right. it's happening in progressive districts it was happening before you got
1: into office it's happening before
2: i got into office right. and it doesn't matter democrat control republican it control They've controlled for all those things, and, and we're just experiencing an increase in, in that type of violence. So it's right like if
0: it's, it's like the people who say that like climate change isn't real because the climate <laughs> yeah. goes up and down all the time. Because yesterday heard of it winter? was winter, <laughs> 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 yeah, right? Because it was cold the, the yeah, last but week. At what point, when it keeps going too high, do we say like, okay, like, like what's the strategy once it's clear? Like, whoa, this is like super yeah. high, right?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, what we talk about and and have been advocating for is when, when we look at where in our community in Multnomah County, and this is, I'm sure, true across the country, but we look at the places where gun violence is the highest and you overlay that on the map where poverty is the greatest. Mm. And it's almost a one for one. I mean, you can draw in our community, the census tracts that have the, the hardest economic times. And you can see that that's where gun violence hits the hardest. So we know what the answer is. And the answer is people on the street who are committing crimes, they don't think to themselves before they shoot somebody, oh, is this 10 years or 15 years that I'm gonna get if I get caught on this? They, that's not what's going through their minds, right? They're, they're in the moment. A lot of crimes is opportunity and other things. So we have to give people opportunity and hope that has nothing to do with gun violence.
0: What really sucks about that answer is the DA doesn't get to do that, right? So, like, you're in a shitty spot there, Right. right? Like, because you have to deal with the upstream stuff of something that downstream you have absolutely no control over.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and that's, that's a limiting factor, but I also have to recognize the role that the system that now I am a leader in has played in destabilizing those very same communities. Uh, and that is something I have control over. That is something that I can consider how the policies of this office have hollowed out those uh, communities, especially black and brown communities, sending them to prison, mandatory sentencing, cash bail, all those things, redlining. And I mean, there are other policies yeah. outside of my control too that have created those situations. So I, can, I can't get fully upstream. I can't fund the things that we know we need to have in those communities, but I can stop doing some of the harmful things that, that this system has been doing to them for a long time.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I have some personal questions for you, Mike. <laughs> These might be the ones that actually make you sweat. Are you ready? Let's do it. So Mike, you know, as district attorney, you cannot commit perjury. What, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically Just nobody can commit perjury. Yeah, no. <laughs> Just you making that lie. clear before the personal questions start coming out. We want the truth.
2: Are you gonna swear okay. me in, but
1: <laughs> so first question. Are you the most handsome DA in the entire state of Oregon?
2: <laughs> Tell the truth.
0: Have you looked? <laughs> <laughs> <That's a ranking. laughs> well, um, I my fr-
2: <laughs> my my good friend from Columbia County, the district attorney up oh. there, Jeff Oxier. Uh, he strikes a,
1: uh, I <laughs> I <gotta> Google. <laughs> he
2: strikes a good uh, a good picture. So um, so, I don't know. Oxier.
1: I O X I E R. A U X I E R. I'm doing this right here, y'all. He's Let's a good see. looking guy. I'll put look it it next or to or your not. face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Damn internet. It's going to take me a while, but yeah, we'll find out in a second. So while this is downloading, oh, wait. That's somebody else. Okay, I'll look at the picture later. Um, okay. Tell I us about you who will. you are when we went to <laughs> high school together. Back
2: when, back when we went to high yeah. school together. Well, I grew up in, uh, in upstate New York uh, in a, a rural, small, little bedroom community called Weedsport. Uh, my dad's a steel steelworker. Uh, he was a steel steelworker his, his entire career. Uh, he thought it was going to be a short-term job out of, uh, he did one year of college, um, and it turned out that's how he spent his career. My mom ran a small advertising agency local business uh, and so that's where I grew up, uh, in a pretty rural place, pretty conservative place, uh, upstate New York, mm. unlike the state is very red. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to college, uh, in New York as well. in Poughkeepsie, um, I spent four years at Vassar, mm-hmm. uh, no Poughkeepsie. Yeah. And got to kind of, that's where I got my first taste. You know, I was so, um, that's
0: where George Washington spies were.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's I was a nerd. You go from <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I was a you know so sheltered in in the community I grew up, and I I just was like, oh, you know, the world is fixed. The problems are there aren't any, and so hmm. I went to college, and then I was exposed to the fact that that was not true. Um, and think
0: you your first presidential
2: vote for my <laughs> first presidential vote would have been for well, let's see when did I first vote? I don't know. It would have been for a Democrat, Clinton. It was a Democrat, or maybe okay, it was that's Gore. What I was trying to get it was, was Democrat. Okay, it was yeah. Democrat um i guess it probably would have been gore uh would have been my first one but anyway so i uh, went to, to college and, and that's where i kind of yeah, got involved old. in some yeah.
1: well speaking of an inconvenient <laughs> some truth i did look up mr da oxier and no like clearly we have the most handsome <laughs> so da in the state of oregon sorry mr jeff
0: I- <laughs> I'm not going to comment on
1: that. It's not my space. You can comment. You know you want to, Greg. I'm just trying to coach you know, Greg it's someone out. I
0: don't want to be promoting right now, but, but they're pretty attractive and kind of a firebrand. And, and, and Kellyanne Conway. No, I am attracted to Kellyanne Conway, oh my yes. God. You like Candace Owens.
1: Because she's objectively attractive. But, anyways, I still get triggered when you talk
0: about your. Feelings for Kelly and Conway. I like Essie Cup the most. Okay,
1: (laughs) I like conservatives. Anyways, (laughs) um, what did you think you were going to be when you were in college?
2: Well, it's funny. My uh, high school social studies teacher had us all write letters to our future selves, and then he kept them in a box and he mailed them to us fifteen years later. And, And so I opened mine up. And I uh, apparently thought just I was going to be. Every,
0: everybody stays in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks at the phone.
2: No, button. He, he added a few stamps uh, you and. Must uh, be
0: old. How does he fucking know where you well, live? Well, he sent like, it
2: what? to he sent it to my parents' house, <laughs> and, okay. they, and they right. got it. Oh, right. to oh my right. god! god. <laughs> uh, and my parents were still in the same spot, and uh, I was going to be a, a marketing executive. I was going to create TV commercials. It's
0: kind of the same thing. Weird. <laughs> That's what. what yeah. Well, did, did you like in marketing? Those
1: are the two jobs I failed. Okay. <laughs> Did you just, like, love TV and you're like, I want to make TV?
2: Yeah, my mom uh, had a small advertising agency, so oh, okay. from a young see, age, I was in some TV commercials and yeah. some radio commercials, stuff like that. Look, Jeopardy he was
1: even in be, TV commercials. Look at a,
0: that. <laughs> I was in TV commercials. Look the fuck out of
1: you. You were? Damn, I, was I missed out. A TV Man, commercials. Man, see, I
0: had a rough childhood, as no, you know. No, was a... Oh, yeah. I was a yeah. model and actor. I was in plays. Yeah. Chris knows. What uh, happened? <laughs> I had kids. Yeah. Put some gray in your beard. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Are you done with your personal questions? You got more personal well, no.
1: Questions? I guess I'll, I'll ease it back into the work stuff. So from marketing executive to getting into criminal justice work. That's
2: yeah. So my first job boring. was a uh, high school teacher. <laughs> Ridiculous. <Your> <laughs> Uh, teaching high school down in, in New Orleans. That was Boring
1: my, apparently that was my in New
2: Orleans. So that was my you first one. You a Saints shot. fan? Yes.
0: I saw that. Yeah. I just didn't know <laughs> if you were a Saints fan or a Saints Row fan video game. But so much more interesting.
2: <laughs> Saints fan, uh, the Jameis Winston era has arrived. It so has, yeah, five touchdowns. That's right. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Five touchdowns, a hundred something yards. Not <laughs> yeah. good. The touchdowns part is good. So you were in high school in New
1: Orleans.
2: Taught high school in New Orleans uh, from 03 to 05, and Katrina came through in 05, mm. and that's when I moved to Oregon uh, to go to law school.
0: Damn, yo, you have shit luck. First, you have to grow <laughs> up in upstate New York. Fucking sucks. Poughkeepsie. Then you're in New Orleans for the hurricane, just randomly. Yeah. Where were you living? What ward? And your first vote was for Gore, and he got his ass kicked.
2: <laughs> That's right. Uh, I was in the, the Garden Weird District, old. but I taught...
0: Oh, fancy. <laughs> yeah, it okay. does
2: sound fancy. Yeah, uh, But I, I taught Isn't right near university? the uh, Superdome.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been. I know NOLA. Yeah, right by Tulane. I know yeah. NOLA. Yeah, yeah, I know NOLA. Okay. Tulane. Yeah. Anyways. There's lots of freeways.
1: So, what? at what point did you get interested in criminal justice?
2: <sighs> yeah, you know, so... Uh, I really wasn't at first when I went to law school here in Portland, I came to be a, an environmental lawyer. Okay. Like so Still many woke. others. Woke yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought to myself, environmental law, that's where you kayak what and backpack. Lewis and Clark.
0: Oh yeah. We're buds then. Go pioneers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it turns out environmental law is, is not like that, and I hated it, but they already had half my money uh, for my three-year uh, law degree, mm-hmm. and so I, uh, I pivoted. I got an internship at the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office, and, oh. uh, and that's how I got my start in criminal law. Uh, I interned there, and, and I really liked it, and so when I graduated law school, I decided uh, that that's what I wanted to do.
0: Wait, didn't you prosecute at some point also? Right, so... You were going to skip that... Started, started as an
2: intern in the office, uh, and then uh, once I graduated, I was hired on uh, at the DA's office and prosecuted for— uh, You were that good at locking people up?
0: No, but I'm—well, I'm interested in what you learned from that end, like, and also how it felt, and, you know, Do obviously— Do you have any remaining you know,
1: guilt? Does it keep you up that's at night? Not,
0: stop. That's not where I'm going. <laughs> I think that there's, like, experience you get yeah. on both sides, and i you know, I don't know. I'm a law school— person i like i i'm a strong believer that both sides should have like strong defense like the scales of justice mm-hmm. that's what it is like they should both be even and both sides should have zealous defense or um prosecution but the uh but like Which doesn't yeah, work I guess. doesn't work in reality but yeah D- no, because public defenders' offices are underfunded. Exactly. yeah. And in public. Yeah. And, yeah, so, so of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, it works if you can have my lawyer. Exactly. Um, but uh, shout out to Steve House. Great guy. Um, so like, yeah. How did that feel? What did you learn from that experience? Are you, did you come away and go, this is all racist and I can't believe I ever did that? Like,
2: no, I didn't, I didn't come away that way, but I did uh, leave the office because ultimately I, I felt like this wasn't I wasn't having the impact that I wanted to have. Go. <clears throat> right. When I got into it, you know, one of the things that I got into, you know, I, I considered I actually applied to be a public defender uh, and I applied to be a prosecutor. The prosecutors gave me a shot. And so that's the way I ended up going. I'll uh, take any job. Uh, when I, was out of <laughs> law school, I worked
0: at NAFI for 33,000. So,
2: yeah. so <laughs> yeah, you know, but. I think one of the things that animated me and my interest in criminal justice was my students experience when I was a teacher in New Orleans. And, you know, my students where I grew up in upstate New York, you know, we used to run for the from uh, the local sheriff's deputy for fun. Right. Like it was a game. If Hmm. we were on the playground after hours, he would come next mailer. You know, <laughs> we we'd run away and he would spotlight us, and we just thought it was fun. And there was never any real risk to us. Um, then I was teaching in New Orleans and that in the public schools there, and and that was not the experience of my students in did they have police officers. Resource
0: officers in the school. We
2: did not. Okay. We did not, um, and, and so that was you know I think that's a that was a good thing for us. Uh, that worked um, just fine. But my students had interactions with law enforcement. And, mm-hmm. and one of my students I remember uh, specifically, he's one of my favorites. You're not supposed to have favorites, but I did.
0: Uh, yeah, it's like me and my kids.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. As a parent, as a teacher, you're not supposed to have favorites, but you do. And then, uh, but his name was uh, Emmons, uh, and he... He was just happy-go-lucky, outgoing. Cat does not
1: listen to this fucking podcast.
2: He was this outgoing kid who uh, I remember he won a contest in my classroom and I and he got a prize. I let him pick out whatever he wanted, and he picked out a a book of love poetry. And he he memorized every love poem and and tried it on. I think every girl in school, and uh, I don't know that that ever worked, but he kept trying. He just had that kind of personality, and everybody. Twenty
0: twenty is getting canceled.
2: (laughs) So yeah, right. So. But then one day he comes in the, into class and he's like, just really down. And and so I asked him to stay after. And I was like, what's going on, man? And he explained to me how he had gotten arrested over the weekend. And he was, you know, he was a, a caretaker really for some of his younger siblings. Mm-hmm. And so he was out doing um, some grocery shopping at the, at the corner store mm-hmm. to get some milk and cereal. And he walked up on a scene, as he described to me, of police officers it had a man on the ground. And when he walked up, the officers turned their guns on him, ordered him to get down on the ground. And... Uh, he was 14 years old at the time. They arrested him for possession of marijuana, uh, and you know he was said that he didn't uh, have it on him. That, that in fact the, the officer planted it on mm. him. Uh, and what ended up coming out was a dash cam video that that showed that that was true. And so all the charges were dropped. But my 14 year old student wow, had to spend the weekend the trauma in jail. Yeah, and right. and I'll tell you, he never do you do your homework. Yeah, right. And 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 how do You're you dick. how no, do you what? I'm serious. How do you trust? She had bigger worries. How do you trust adults? How do you trust authority? How do you trust everybody who says they're there to protect you and then they they who didn't? What do
0: you call when someone pulls a gun on you? Yep. And
2: so he just he never was the the same student after yeah. that. He lost his He lost his kind of naive joy, I yeah. think a lot, and the
1: innocence.
2: The innocence yeah. of it. And um right. and so that stuck with me when I went into the Multnomah district attorney's office that and other stories uh, that I saw my students go through. And I thought, look, if I'm the prosecutor, I can do the right thing. Uh, And, and, you know, I think this office prides itself on that, the, the ethical treatment of people, but still after five years, um, I didn't feel like I was making an impact. I wasn't changing things. You work for the district yeah. attorney. The district and attorney I know it's
1: was BS cuz I got arrested and charged guilty for occupying the world's smallest park. It's literally a park. I stood in it. How is that breaking traffic laws? Just saying. Well, so we had you- a different DA. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey,
2: hey. Well right, and that that's exactly right. We had a different DA and and I felt after doing it for about five years, a little bit more than five years, that um, that I wasn't having the impact I wanted. And, and the DA sets the policies, they set how things go. And I remember being in front of a judge and uh, this judge in, in our community, he's, he's one of these guys who's super smart, Judge Marcus, he was actually known nationally for a lot of his like research mm. and data and his insistence on using those things. And I'm in front of him at a sentencing hearing. And I say, you know, judge, based on this man's criminal history, you should send him to prison for five mm. years, right? Which was what the law was and everything else. And in one word, he really kind of broke me. And, and that word was why? And I was like, uh, well, uh, your honor, uh, look that's at his the criminal law. history <laughs> uh, and, the, and that's the law. And he's like, right, right. But um, he just got out of prison. He was in prison before that. He was in prison before that. He's like, so do you think it'll work this time? And I was like, "Uh, Why are you asking me this? I mean, that's the the law, and and obviously, you know. So then the defense attorney is is kind of feeling like, All right, I got the edge right here, and he's like, Your Honor, you're completely right. That that deputy day doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. need to give my client probation. And the judge looks at me, he's like, He's been on probation like thirty times, (laughs) you know. So that, but his point was, none of us were asking the right question. What is going to actually take this man out of the life of committing crimes? (laughs) <laughs> I, You know, honestly, I don't remember what the judge did because I went back <laughs> I went back to my office and I asked I said, you know, where's the research Where's the data that says Sending this man to five years to prison mm. Is the right thing, it's gonna right. do it Because I, I just naively thought that that existed right. I thought the research existed That we weren't just doing these things randomly mm. that, that there must be something behind it and, and at the time, with the leadership in the office I was told, go back and tell the judge to follow the law and, you know, that research stuff, it's all, but, I mean, and that kind of broke me. And, and I knew I wanted to get you out after that. can't do anything
0: about that with mandatory minimums, which we have in this state, right? Like, and that goes down to a lot of what you have to decide of what do I charge this person with? Mm. And not to be a dick or ask you hard questions, but the, <laughs> the so I mean, like, I'm, uh, fuck. Just ask I it. went to law school. Okay, I'm <laughs> just saying, like, you charge somebody up because then they plead down. That's right. That, like, that makes sense, right? That's what they'll tell you. I mean, they won't tell you to do that in law school, but obviously they, they tell you in law school that's what's happening. Um, you, that, like, <laughs> that is one of... That is. And measure 11 has been such a, a huge thing there. So my brother actually, uh, they, he broke a glass, probably in the 90s or something, broke a glass. He was underage in a club, broke a glass, threw it at somebody, strikes somebody he wasn't supposed to that he wasn't throwing it at uh, the brother you met. Um, attempted mm-hmm. murder. Um, are you going to face us in court for attempted murder or are you going to plead to assault? Every person in the world is pleading to assault. No good criminal defense attorney is mm-hmm. going to tell you yeah, sure, risk 25, right? Or take 5 in probation or something like that, right? So like yep. is that has to be part of your strategy, especially with people that really are violent Mm. and we don't have a way to abstract them from society in their worst moments. Um, Like... So do you do that and how and why? And like, how do you like, is how hard are those decisions? I guess my basic question.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you're exactly right. Mandatory minimums shift the power from the judge to make sentencing decisions to the prosecutor. And essentially what you're charged with will ultimately dictate what you end up getting for, for your case. And we have broad discretion as prosecutors to make those charging decisions. Um, And so you know, I like to think that it doesn't happen in our office. Uh, and it's something that we're going to talk about and work on. And I think it's hard to write the policy because right. you have to look at every case by case, fact specific and Statute. statutes. Um, but so, you know, we are aware, you know, I think as prosecutors generally, it definitely happens. Absolutely. It's something that we have to protect against. But I'll tell you, it's really challenging. One of the things that that we're struggling with right now is massive caseloads due to the pandemic. And that's true of public defenders, prosecutors. What do
0: you mean due to the pandemic? Like courts being slowed?
2: Courts being slowed, cases not getting out. um, And and just quite frankly, you know, being under-resourced and have been for a long time in this uh, community. And that's again, true on both sides of, of the fence. Uh, And so we have big caseloads and the incentive there is to do what you're talking about, which is I can resolve a case faster if I charge it hard and plea it down. Right. That's how you can manage a really hard caseload. Now, right. we that is not uh, a strategy. In fact, I think anybody in my office would tell you s- explicitly that, that that's not acceptable well, and they wouldn't do that. To, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Street interviews. <laughs> you, go, you should, you should, they would tell you.
2: Um, but I worry about that. I worry about when caseloads are high and people are strapped and resources are tight and we don't get to spend the time with the cases that we want to spend on them. Uh, You know, that's the kind of thing that can slip in. Uh, And and I think nationally it's been shown absolutely with the work of John Pfaff and others who have looked at this that that does absolutely happen. Uh,
0: Let's talk about um, the other side of the coin. We sort of attacked this from a lefty point. Um, uh, The, okay, let me be another devil's advocate. Oh, Greg is loving this. Well, <laughs> that's what he lives for is to argue both
1: sides. He don't even All give a I shit. All I listen to
0: his conservative talk radio. Like, <laughs> Lars Larson and I are friends. Like, yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh. Um, so, uh, and I'm just like more left than I'm even willing to admit publicly. Um, so, <laughs> but the um, my question is that people will drive around or be told by their friends and you see the comments and the emails and stuff. Portland is a shithole. Um, you're we're not, in and, and part of it is because people have been allowed to run rampant, um, and there are serious crimes happening in our community, and nothing is happening. Like, what would you say to the people? I think we all agree here. Like. Nobody's going to advocate for Jeremy Christian to be released, right? So that's like that's what I would ask an abolitionist one. Um, but the, but like oh. to um, <laughs> you are the like worst. Some restorative justice. Why for do you always got to jab Christian? people in the eye? Well, I, because the, I like digging deep. So like, Into I guess my question is, if you're not of the right, I don't think these people are necessarily right wing. My mom is one of them. She works downtown. She's a liberal Democrat. Your mom is
1: perfect. Don't you dare say anything about she her. She Works
0: downtown and she says. I'm super sad about that elk. I loved that elk. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that is weird. But she will, like, <laughs> tear up elk. about the elk. Um, and oh and I have clients come to my lot. She's a lawyer. She has clients come to her office. They don't feel safe, like this and that. Like, what mm-hmm. would you say that you're doing for that segment of the community that honestly, at least in the media and on social media and stuff, seems to be growing you know, we don't we talk about data. We don't know if that's necessarily growing or if they're louder, if the other side is quieter. But what would you say to that part of the community?
2: Well, I think, first of all, acknowledge that it's real, that, that people do right now seem to feel less safe in our community. Right. And and we're seeing I mean, you know, I I live in southeast Portland. You know, we see obviously an increase of homelessness. We see an increase of you know, what graffiti and trash and, and, and things like that. And I think it, it gets to us. Um, so, you know, that is a real thing. Now, so let's talk about, you know, how do we fix those things? What are right. the solutions to those? But, you know, for us, the prosecutor, and we talked about this a little bit uh, beforehand, but, you know, we're kind of at the end of the system, right? There are all you know, kinds of things. not cleaning up
0: graffiti either. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. You know,
2: and so let's talk about what actually... The prosecutor does. Uh, so police officers go out, they investigate a case, they write up reports and they submit them to our office. That's when we kind of take the baton. We can charge people with crimes and then they ultimately will end up resolving that case for, for whatever. But what is, what is the resolution to somebody who is doing graffiti. Uh, so, you know, I mean, yeah. we can make them do some community service, uh, you know, maybe clean up some things, things like that. I think like what that.
0: someone would say, what is the resolution of somebody who does graffiti 20 times and you've made them do, gra- these people think these people exist, I actually don't think there is somebody who's been arrested 20 times for graffiti and stuff, but that's what they think. You, they, these drug users, these houseless people that are doing something illegal, um, murderers even, you know, they get arrested and then you let them out and then they go and do it again, and it's just this endless cycle. And if you would just be tough on them and put them away and lock and throw away the key, then we wouldn't be dealing with this at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one, of course, I, I always go back to the data and what's really happening. And I agree there that that's not, not people, that's not really arrests, yeah that's not but, really. Well, there's uh, that happen. guy who writes
0: China on everything, and how, y'all got to catch him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we
2: need to make cases. Uh, where people are doing things over and over again, we need that to be investigated. We need to make cases. What, in my office, what we're doing is we're focusing on the most serious crimes. We're focusing on the things that impact the community at the highest levels. So right, we're putting our resource yeah. towards, right now, I mean, it's gun violence. Everything yeah. for us is all hands on deck on, on gun violence. And if you look at our prosecutions— Let's talk about that some more. When you, I'll just finish yeah. this thought when you look at our prosecutions comparing 2019 to 2021 we're up we've got over 450% more cases filed related to gun crimes than we did at the same time period two years ago. So we are absolutely-
0: So you're keeping pace with the murderers.
2: We are absolutely <laughs> keeping pace and, and we're making those cases. And, and you know, if, if people are using guns in the street, like it's a matter of time, we're gonna get them and then we're gonna prosecute those cases. Now we need to stop the bleeding on our streets. We need to inter- interdict the behavior. Now we can talk about what to do with some folks, right? And if you murder somebody, like clearly you're going to prison. That's just the way it's gotta be. Uh, You can't be in our community, but you know, we can look at other things for young people who are in possession of a gun. Is there a way that we can craft a sentence that works with community, works with other things? It gives people a chance to not have that conviction mm-hmm. that can drive them deeper into criminality. You know, so those are all things that we're considering. It's a big spectrum of things, but that's where our priorities are. So we're what we're doing is is prioritizing the things that I think uh, create that feeling for for people of, of the the safety that I think we all want. And everybody yeah. deserves to feel safe in their own community.
1: So so, so hot button question gun violence is truly the public safety issue that every portlander needs to focus on you know as mike schmidt just said uh, complaints went up 450 percent the data that i've looked at has been about 200% increase compared to the last 12 month period prior to well, well, then july you're
0: kicking ass what 450 to 200 he's kicking
1: ass no 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 the actual like recorded incidence is about 200 percent increase but the number of complaints submitted or cases submitted has been 450 percent increase um and it's impacted my organization brown hope directly uh john marie herring yep. my organization brown hope where i actually work and, and founded it chair, but, okay, oh cool. my freaking gosh <laughs> oh you gotta try, take credit Tell me what the mission statement is for Brown Hope. I will
0: fire you, Megan. What <laughs> to, the fuck? Go ahead, <laughs> fire
1: me. You going to take my job? Anyways, I'm trying to say something very go tragic. Yeah, Jesus. Know, you
0: just took credit for a lot. John Marie
1: right? Herring, who was just murdered, is the son of one of our staff, and so we've felt it intimately. And that's happened for hundreds of families now. We're dealing with a real epidemic, yeah. And we we, we need to talk about the human aspect of it. And I think that's our something that just got shot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, What do you feel like Portland is not doing that it should be doing to address the gun epidemic?
2: Well, you know, I think people have uh, woken up to the fact that we do need to make front end investments. We need to get upstream of this problem. And that's going to be the long-term trajectory and Mm -hmm. and strategy. We're we're not going to solve gun violence with additional prosecutions and arrests and things like that. Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: that being said, those need to happen. Mm -hmm. When people are shooting uh, other people in our streets, we need to get them off of our streets. Mm -hmm. Once you have shown that you're willing to shoot somebody, Mm -hmm. you cannot safely be in our community anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we need to interdict that behavior. So you know we know it has to be an an everything along the continuum strategy. Mm -hmm. We need investments in communities that are gonna give people hope and opportunity and jobs and things that are gonna dissuade them from choosing uh, to, to be in that life. And also we need to give people that sense of security and safety because there are Mm. a lot of people in our community right now that are carrying guns Mm. that weren't carrying guns before because they don't feel safe. Mm. And when there are more and more guns on your street, you're gonna see more and more people getting shot. And so we need to uh, show people that our prosecutions are up 450%. We're making these cases. We are going to get you if you are shooting up our community. Do you remember that tragic
1: story from last year? It wasn't here, but it was some other place where it was that, that mentor guy who was like a mentor at a high school never had a criminal record and then was at a gas station do you remember that story
0: i don't I have no yeah, idea
1: yeah there was just some random fight at the gas station and this guy who literally never had a criminal record mentored kids for a living um, was in a happy marriage i think might have had kids and then got into an argument like within five minutes of this stranger arguing at a gas station pulls out his gun and kills the guy
2: yeah was he you justified
1: know. i don't think so
2: We've seen, yes. I've seen, I I've mean, seen other uh, yeah. examples of that yeah. where where people uh, over things that are just insane to think about end yeah. up getting shot. Yeah. and I killed. Mean, like, like
1: John Marie like, Herring I, example, like the bar owner's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like killing somebody in his dad's establishment. Like these are stories that and I then don't looking think for the shell case Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: The like, I mean, I am a gun owner um, by not choice. Um, like I would love to not be, I would love for guns to not exist, but like I have home visits mm-hmm. from the right and mm-hmm. cops and, the, um, and, and, like, um, and, and, but like if somebody came in and was like, I'm taking your TV, I'd be like, take my fucking TV, bro. Like as long as you're not taking my kids, like mm-hmm. you don't even have to know I have a gun. Like mm-hmm. I don't care. Take my, I don't have anything more valuable than even the worst criminal's life. Mm-hmm. And I say that then to say, putting back on my left hat for Lake what you we go said. Lake Oswego is so
1: dangerous. <laughs> I love your mountain
0: park. Uh, the, uh, but it is actually dangerous. There was cops in my neighborhood yesterday. Um, so, uh, at my door, 1am. Because someone's car got broken into, oh. so take that. Car- <laughs> okay. um, except for it wasn't true. I have a, zoom, I have a camera on there. Nobody broke into anybody's car. Um, so,
1: but, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I love how you said that so low octave that no one could hear it. No, I have a
0: crazy neighbor who I know is not going to listen to this, she calls the cops all the time. And her car <laughs> alarm went off, and she Ex- said, and the cop <laughs> knocks on my door, and he says, and he says, "Did you hear when the car alarm went off?" And I was like, "Yeah." I looked out my window to make sure it wasn't one of my cars. And then he goes, did you see a bunch of people running around in masks?
1: <laughs> I love we have an audience like, right yeah. now who's just rolling their eyes at Greg. <laughs> I was like, no, there
0: were not a lot of people in masks. I have one of those ring cameras. I would know. <laughs> no. And then they pulled over my DoorDash driver. Uh, and then they, oh my and they were like, we're stinking this out. Oh, my and God. And you came in here and we... <laughs> it's not your department. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, my it. goodness. Um, okay. Putting my lefty hat back on. You said... <laughs> Uh, you commit a crime uh, like that, you can't be on our streets. You got to say that. Everybody, I think, agrees with that. Um, But those people, disproportionately black. So, like, that sucks. Shooting other black people. Yeah, Yeah, shooting other black people. But that sucks, because then what we're saying is, if you're willing to do this, you have to go. And what I worry is that people hear that, or see that because it's true like the statistics are just true and think that there is something devoid in the black community or Mm -hmm. wrong with black people in which that's why they're the ones committing murders. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have to address people who are using yeah. gun violence. So like, how do, we, yeah. how do we account for the fact that it's mostly black people, yeah. um, or d- maybe not mostly yeah. in Oregon, but disproportionately yeah. black people?
1: And it's so fatalistic for black folks who are living in mostly specific neighborhoods, either you are the one who gets shot or you get shot and you disappear forever. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with you with like the upstream thing. And actually I wanted to ask this earlier and it comes back to it. And, you know, if you can answer both, you know, prior your work was really looking at systems change. And as you said earlier, your job now is like the dead end of the criminal justice system. Like, how are you grappling with that? It's yeah. okay to cry.
2: <laughs> well, you know, a, a public defender friend of mine uh, up from New Orleans, he was up here the other day, and he was talking about some of his clients and and what they say to him about mm-hmm. this. and And I think this is the this is the challenge: is is people uh, in communities where they lack hope, they lack resources, mm-hmm. they lack investment, they have historical and generational, you know, displacement mm-hmm. and poverty, and all these challenges. You know, there he says a lot of his clients um, say to him, "I'd rather be caught with a gun than without a gun." right? right? And it's like, how do you how are you forced every day to roll out of your house and make mm-hmm. that decision? Would I rather be arrested by the police with a gun mm-hmm. or be caught with somebody who wants to kill me without a gun? Mm-hmm. and And so we are asking, especially young people, to make impossible, yep, no win. Uh, decisions. And, and I think we have to recognize well, then why that.
0: why do we then say that person has to be removed from the street? Because isn't that a logical decision?
2: So, I mean, yep. when I say somebody needs to be removed from the street when they are shooting their gun at people, uh, that they've decided they're willing to cross that line and use their gun for shooting at them, you know, that yeah. I think is just... Premeditated. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but there's an elephant... There's an elephant. There's an element of... Uh, <laughs> elephant in the room. But there's an element of pre-self-defense that I think people in gangs think of, right? Like, if I don't kill this person first, they're going to kill me. Um, And so you look like the aggressor because you killed them, or they killed your friend. You know, like, that cycle exists also. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, uh, what you lined out seems like a really logical decision. Uh, I would rather be caught with my gun than without it, right? Like, that seems logical. The next step of then when I'm forced to be caught with my gun. Yeah. Now that person should be removed. Yeah. I agree with you, but those things seem a little like bit Like you might in have heard
1: that this person was going to try to kill you. Right, like, like that, that, yeah. that those yeah.
0: things seem to be a bit in conflict, although I think everybody would agree with both, but it's like, how do we solve
2: it? Well, yeah. so, so you need the interdiction. You need to get the person who is carrying the gun and they're intending to use it illegally and shoot at people and all that stuff. You need to get them out of the street. It doesn't mean you need to be sent to prison for throw away the key, lock years. Them up, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like then the next question comes. Okay, so you were in this situation and, and you were in, an, let's say that, that, that they articulated this exact scenario. I was in this impossible situation. People are out to kill me. I was carrying my gun and you caught me while that was happening. And so I'm in this lose-lose situation. Um, now we can talk to them about okay what can we do so that you are not in that position can we hook you up with services can we hook you up with community groups it doesn't have to be prison it doesn't have to be jail but we do need to but, interdict the behavior at the moment
1: is that what's happening like that was one of the big reasons why you know commissioner John Hardesty and many advocates you know called for the dismantling of the gun violence reduction team because they were stopping black folks. Even though we barely live here, they still f- know how to find us. Like, when someone is packing heat and the cops are there, do they really think they're going to get no, support no out of that? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, though. I'm not cool. I'm not a gun owner, except for these guns right here. Mike I'm Mike s- the only people that
0: say that. That's okay, from whatever.
1: I'll show you some heat.
0: <laughs>
1: Meet me after the podcast. Anyways. Yeah, so well, sorry, what was the question? Anyways, <laughs> like, the fact that how can a somebody who's <laughs> carrying a pistol or a firearm yeah. uh, and they're stopped by the police, how are they they're, supposed to feel like they're, they're going to get go. helped in that
2: interaction? Well, I mean, I think, you know, they might not in the, the immediate moment might feel not, like they're on. going to get helped uh, in that situation. But, you know, if you are carrying a gun and you're not allowed to be carrying a gun, for example, if you're a felon, so you're mm. in possession of a firearm mm. and you're not allowed to be doing that, I mean, that, that is just... You know, against the law, you're going to be arrested for that, and Even then if we're going not to a bring felon you. for
0: a violent crime.
2: Yeah, in, in Oregon, yeah, if you are not. a felon, I know yeah, exactly. So, what if, it's so, a pot? What if you, you have a
0: pot felony?
2: A pot felony. Yep. Uh, if you are still, if, if you're still a felon, then then yeah, it still would be. Them's I the believe. rules. I don't think that's changed. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, Change I mean. It
0: then. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but in the moment, right? I mean, I think, yes, yeah, we're going to take that gun off the street and you're going to mm-hmm. have to yeah. answer for that in the, in the criminal justice system. Uh, but then we can talk about what does this look like? How do we you know, get you connected with things? And hopefully mm-hmm. there's some things that people weren't thinking about or we can make connections and get people mentors and, mm-hmm. and connect them with outreach. Yeah. I think that's, that's what we, when you, we get to that point and yeah. where it is, that's what we can do.
0: I have two super practical questions. One, is there anything your office can do before somebody is brought to you, right? Is there anything you can do to lean on elected officials or do those community things upstream, right, like that are preventing crime? Is there anything you can do... Other than one, because once it gets to your desk, someone has fired that gun and they need to be removed from the is like and, you know, or somebody has committed a different kind of crime and we put them in some sort of community base. Mm -hmm. Like that all sounds great. Is there a way that we can do that before? the crime or that your office can impact that, whether that be advocacy, communications or something like that?
2: Yeah. I think there's a lot of things, um, you know, for certain types of crimes, I think there's just some, a lot of crime is crime of opportunity. You know, most Mm -hmm. people don't roll out of their front door the day or whatever and say today, I'm going to go steal that car. You know I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. they see an opportunity. Like we just had one uh, recently where uh, you know, a tow truck driver is uh, out helping someone else out, but his car was running, someone jumps in the seat of the tow truck, and there it goes. Like, it's a crime of opportunity.
0: Herman Green's car just got stolen.
2: So, you know, Oh, yeah, I saw that, <laughs> yeah. That's an example of something like, if we can cut down on, on instances of crimes of opportunity, then there's going to be less stolen cars. So use a club. Don't leave your keys in the car. Don't let it idle in your driveway to warm it up uh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there are things that we can do that normal people can mm-hmm. do to, like, kind of cut down on crime. There are investments we can make. I mean, we've talked about a lot of the investments that you can make. No, we're talking about you specifically. When you're bullying can you yeah. like can
0: you make I mean, those I can, investments or can you just like call the mayor and be like, "Please fucking do this." Yeah. Like
1: <laughs> I'm sure y'all are best friends. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I certainly perjury. I
2: certainly advocate for for upstream Im- investments. You know, when we were looking at gun violence, you know, I I was advocating for funding programs like POIC that has a, uh, a gun violence curriculum, specifically culturally specific to young black men, that I think right. we could use to divert people out of the system. Right. Uh, so, I think what I can do is we can be willing to uh, divert people out. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I was just over in uh, Nashville, uh, Tennessee, I was talking to the sheriff there, and he has a whole program of. Uh, not even booking people, so pre-arrest aversion. So, I mean, there are things that we can do to get upstream with the authority that I have. Uh, but what we need is we need those programs to be funded so that we have places to divert people to. So
0: we need a Mike Schmidt elected in the state house, in the state <laughs> <Mayor>. legislature, <laughs> city council. We like need, by the I, time that happens, your term might be over. Yeah, that's and right. People are blaming you for all the shit that you weren't <laughs> able to do. So so we need to of, fund
2: some restorative <laughs> justice programs. There, there are a lot of that. So things speaking we can of your do. influence, other, no, because it's, so,
1: it's on the same topic. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. And go you've ahead. been talking so much. Anyways, I know, I know you got a my JD. I your the last speaker was your shit. It was rap, yeah, so come the sh- fuck
0: on. And this is sports. Yeah, that's yeah true. exactly. Okay. So suck can it. Have something. Ask Anyways, him about his hair.
1: I'm not gonna ask about your. <laughs> this you know how he does me. Take what proud. kind of charge could I put against him right now? Anyways, I have a really practical. I'm gonna tell your ask. annoying neighbor to call the police on you again. She will. And, <laughs> she will. She absolutely so, will. My after. question <laughs> is around your influence as a DA mm-hmm. and. DAs have legislative agendas and I'm just curious how are you feeling in Oregon do you feel like you're kind of like the last kid to be pick, pick pick that dodgeball like <laughs> you know how is your like legislative priorities also being shaped with the rest of the state DAs
2: Yeah you know I definitely don't feel like the last kid at kickball um no, there's 3 of you <laughs> yeah. So uh We actually had a a decent session uh, this Mm -hmm. last legislative session. Um, I worked on a couple bills, uh, specifically championed some bills that ended up getting passing. We got a uh, Senate Bill 819 passed, which is a resentencing
0: uh, Mm -hmm. piece
2: of legislation that for the first time ever, uh, come January 1st, district attorneys will have the authority to resentence somebody who had been previously sentenced in the criminal justice system in the interest of justice. So we're going to be looking at you know, young people who were sentenced as adults when they were juveniles. We're going to be looking at, you know, different types of situations Mm -hmm. uh, where we could actually change either Mm -hmm. people who are currently in prison or even people who have served their time and they're Mm -hmm. out, but they have a conviction that they just cannot Mm -hmm. ever get rid of because of what our laws are. And So, so
1: when you say in the direction of justice, does that mean you can only sentence them if their judgment would be less severe?
2: That's right. Cool. Interesting. That's exactly right. So we can't bring people back and say, boy, we we got it wrong. We need to to get it higher. Uh, So yeah, so I think we are going to be able, and that's why I just hired uh, uh, Ernie Warren, a career defense attorney in our community. Oh my God, I
1: love Ernie. Ernie's fantastic.
2: Yeah, And uh, So Ernie is running uh, the first ever justice integrity unit in Multnomah County. And so we are actually making an investment in making sure that we get convictions right, but when we make mistakes, that we acknowledge those and we go back and fix them that we look at old sentences and consider changing those, especially when people have been doing the work and putting their lives back on track uh, to acknowledge that, uh, help people with expungements, fines and fees. So that was a law that was just passed. Um, we got a catalytic converter law passed, which I'm very Please. proud of. That was one
0: of my practical questions. One of Which is pretty
2: nerdy. We lost catalytic converter. one of my practical converter. questions. This oh. was
0: literally one of them. So
2: much more interesting than any of my questions. <laughs> it was, catalytic
0: catalytic converters. what are you gonna do about catalytic
2: We literally, there, there was a bill in this legislative session. It was at the request of the Multnomah County District Attorney. My
0: neighbors are getting hit with this. And
2: uh, and what we did was we made it so that you cannot uh, sell catalytic converters without the paperwork to just anybody. You need to show up with the VIN number that you got it from, your license.
0: They they were like, do you want it at legal level or above legal level? And I was like, "Eh, yeah.
1: Holy shit.
0: Every place I've gone to get my windows tinted said that.
1: Disgusting. Oh, for a windows tinted, not yeah, cattle yeah, the converters. Yeah, nah, okay. What, what the, Sorry. Why
0: would I be selling that? <laughs> I took it off myself. And
1: how about in Vancouver? Do you know? Well,
2: so I believe that Washington state was also considering similar legislation mm-hmm. to uh, make it so that we're trying to. Close the black market for catalytic converters, yeah. uh, and so now you it's can only so weird. you can only so. sell them or buy them. And and this is actually a tried and true strategy. There was a time when people were stealing bleachers at high schools and scrapping the metal. Mm. Uh, there, you know, somebody asked huh. me back
1: in your actually, day, actually.
2: <laughs> back, back in my Don't day. Don't insult
1: us of the
0: same age.
2: <laughs> so the idea actually came from one of my deputy DAs, uh, Kevin Deemer, who's been working on these Shout crimes. Shout out to Kevin. Shout out to Kevin. And, and he said to me, because I, I went to him, I was like, Kevin, what do we do about the catalytic convert thefts? He goes, Mike, you ever notice how nobody steals beer kegs? And I was like, uh, no, I guess that's true. Like you see them sitting on some side of someone's house or front porch mm. and it's just out. And he's like, yeah, nobody steals beer kegs because... The recyclers aren't allowed to take them. Only brewers can take kegs right. to be recycled. So this is the same exact idea. Great. Only people who have a right to or have a, a catalytic converter because they're an auto body shop mm-hmm. or whatever—they're the only ones now that will be able to scrap Isn't catalytic. Isn't it the converters.
0: weird gunk inside that mm-hmm. they want? It's anyway. the it's
2: the yeah. precious metals. And okay, so you're talking about really positive thing. stuff.
0: Well, what? well, well <sighs> you Friday, got the last Do your one. thing. Do your thing. Now, is it on the same topic? It's still about legislative stuff, which is boring. It's so, so fucking boring, dude. I yawned. Um, so the Do you uh,
1: want to be my new host?
0: You want to be a new co-host? Where? Thank you. Bye, Greg. It was great <laughs> to have you here. Where uh, Where are the guns in our community coming from? I wondered this a lot because, like, I when I, like I divulged. This is I a different subject. A, a, yeah, it is. Can
1: I? Can we
0: finish talking no, that about shit legislative is so stuff? Fucking boring.
1: Oh my gosh! So my question. We only have like ten minutes. My question, we have more time. Time is an illusion. Anyways, (laughs) you can ask yours after that. I want to wrap up legislative stuff. Um, Was there anything that you were actually butting heads against other DAs across the state around? Yeah. That's a good question.
2: Yeah. No fucking... (laughs) I, I testified in support of uh, legislation that would have ended mandatory sentencing uh, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, and that hit a brick measure wall. Measure 11? Measure 11. Yep. yep I testified as, as well as uh, the DA in Deschutes County and the DA in Wasco County. We all three testified in support of a bill that would have just changed it from mandatory sentencing mm-hmm. to, to give the judges back the discretion mm-hmm. to presumptive sentencing. And, and that hit a brick wall uh, with my colleagues they at, me at ODA. Measure 11
0: three times. I beat them all. Proud of you. Anyways, back to your.
2: So that was that was that was probably one of the biggest things yeah. that that we didn't end up getting.
0: Um, uh, non-unanimous juries, bad, um, racist people can look it up or whatever. Um, if the legislature decide, uh, I'll do a quick rundown. Um, Oregon and Louisiana were the last two states that were allowed to elect people with non-unanimous juries. And it was specifically done so that they could silence the voices of black jurors or minority jurors. If there was one or two people on the jury that disagreed with the decision, the person could still be found guilty. The Supreme Court decided that that was racist, including Brett Kavanaugh, and that we couldn't do it anymore. And then the, uh, But they said that for the people that were already locked up on non-unanimous jury convictions, that it's up to the states now. Um, The attorney general has the discretion to not oppose relief for those. She's not doing that. Um, But our legislature has the ability to um, vacate those convictions and allow for retrials of those. It would be good timing for that if it wasn't COVID because drugs are now legal and stuff and your courts would be more cleaned up, right, I would assume. Um, If that happens, actually, first, should that happen... And secondly, if that happens, how will you review those cases and based on what?
2: Yeah. So the legislature has uh, potentially a decision to make uh, whether or not they want to apply the, the Ramos ruling uh, retroactively to people who have exhausted all their appeals, but they're still incarcerated. Uh, and I think that should happen. I think that, the, the, that that is something that they should take up and, and consider and you know, when you look at, I think right now in Oregon we have somewhere around twelve thousand or so people who are currently incarcerated. Obviously, a smaller percentage of those uh, would uh, actually have a, a non-unanimous conviction. So, I mean, right, it's yeah. it's also doable for you know for that for that group of people. Most of them are in. I mean, not
0: most of them, but. Uh, the highest percentage of them would be in your jurisdiction, though. No. Yeah, I mean. I think it, I've identified about 80 cases.
2: Yeah, just just numbers, right? Uh, Multnomah County has approximately 20% of the state's population. We're the largest county in the state, so uh, it would stand to reason that we would have the largest share of, of those types of cases. Yeah.
0: So, how would you decide which ones of those you retry and which not? Is it based on the evidence? Is it based on was this due to racism? Is it due to looking at how that non unanimous happened or is it due to the charge itself?
2: Well, I think you look at a whole host of factors. Uh, you look at, you know, first of all, what the sentence was. I mean, how much of the sentence has this person served already? Are they, have they already served two thirds of the sentence or three quarters of the sentence? Does it make sense to go through trial, put victims back on the stage or back on the stand so that they can go through that and, and go through that re-traumatization? What does the victim want? What do they think about uh, what our office should do, you know, what evidence still is there? Could we retry the case? So there's all kinds of questions that we'll look at, case by case. Would you
0: ever retry somebody who has served their entire conviction?
2: I don't think so. I don't think that makes sense.
0: Sex crimes.
2: Well, so when you say serve their entire conviction and, and sex crimes, you know, uh, for some of those carries a lifetime registration. And so, you know, we would have to look at that okay. and whether or not that made sense.
0: Great. Um, last, last practical question, I swear. Yeah. Where are the guns Then there's coming... an
2: elephant question. Get okay. ready.
0: Where are the, where are the guns yeah. coming from? Because I, you know, have divulged that I was a gun owner. I, like, right. had to go through all these fucking hoops. Like and it was expensive. I'm telling your neighbor. I'm not even. Yeah. Oh, she knows I'm the protection. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, uh, like it was expensive. All the things that come with it are expensive. Bullets are hard to find. You have to go train yourself. Like I did all the responsible training stuff and like all this stuff. And I'm like, how are people just having guns? Like and I was like, if I shot somebody with my gun, I feel like I would be caught with blood on my hands. Um, Like, so how is this happening? Where are the guns coming from? Are they being sold? Black market? Are they coming from other states? 3D printers? Are they being, yeah, are they 3D printed? Are like, where
2: are these coming from? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, the, the stats I've seen on, on gun sales are just through the roof. I mean, they have oh my God, increased, it so long
0: to get my get approval.
2: they've increased by huge percentages across the country. I don't know what it is here locally, but a huge increase. So there's just way more guns on the streets. And we people see, who can
1: legally buy them probably can just sell them on the black market. Yeah, <clears throat> We do. But the serial the, number would be on it, right? Right.
2: Well, we do see straw person sales where, you know, somebody who can legally buy a gun will go in and buy it and then they'll transfer it to somebody who who cannot legally buy a gun mm. that happens uh, yeah. and, and that gets investigated uh, so there are definitely black market guns um, there are guns that get stolen out of people's cars mm. when people leave guns in their cars that's a that's a big point of when they get stolen or in their homes home breaking things situations yeah. like that so a lot of stolen guns end up on the street and getting passed around so
1: greg you're part of the problem
2: Uh, Ghost guns, 3D printers, you know, that has... That's
0: in our community?
2: That is in our community. It has not hit us as much as I've seen and talked to my colleagues down in California, but it is... Why do they call uh, them ghost
0: guns? They're called
2: ghost guns because they're... um, they're printed, right? And so there's no serial number on mm. them or anything like that.
0: There, no registration to get yeah. it. There is no nothing. Yeah, you just
2: have they just, gun. they just, yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's just way more guns on our street now than there, there ever been. And so they find their ways into the black market into the people so who are some of the them harm. I mean, oh. when you look at uh, safety of uh, people, um, people who own guns in their homes are actually more yeah, likely to be the victim. Uh, well, not I didn't, you know. Uh, it sounds like you took the courses and you do the right things. I'm sure you have a gun safe no, and a I mean, trigger like, lock. No, but not everybody and,
0: has the same threats as me or even Cameron. Or you. Yeah. You that, the most.
2: Yeah. There's been a lot of that. Uh, stats don't lie, Greg. But Sorry. Yeah, but stats. D is advocate over stats here. Stats
0: are, but I'm not just random black person, right? Like, I'm 20,000 followers verified blue check black
1: person. I'm, sorry, the stats <laughs> are the Stats.
0: Yeah, but they don't, they don't, they don't screen
1: for that. Anyways. (laughs) So I will have to butter you up before I ask this elephant sized question. So again, (laughs) I'll remind you that you're handsome, but big question. It's really about moral philosophy and how you justify your job. So America's criminal justice system is built upon the morally bankrupt institution of slavery. Um, That's the reality of this entire system as we know it, like, Prisoners literally can become slaves because of what our constitution,
0: what? Not here.
1: Not here. Okay, not here, but yes, but still, the criminal justice system is built upon this idea that criminals can be treated exactly the same as slaves, not just inside the prison, but even after leaving the prison, the way that you are seen by society as trash, as deplorable, as less than human. How do you, as somebody who identifies as progressive, who wants to see better for this community, and wants to see transformation, how do you justify the fact that you are playing this game, you're playing a part of this system that has been so morally bankrupt from the beginning? Like, how do you live oh, with shit. that? Yeah, and how do you answer that moral question? Just like before we were talking about, those are the rules, the rules are the rules. Like, how do you sit there knowing that this is based off of moral bankruptcy? How do you still find a way to be okay with it and playing with the rules? Damn. Handsome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was not even going to go that far. Oh, shit.
2: You know, I mean, when I look at it, and it goes back to, you know, kind of what got me into this in the first place was being a high school teacher in New Orleans with with my students and seeing what happened to them uh, when they interacted with the system and knowing that when I interacted with the system as a young kid, Mm -hmm. I I didn't get treated the same. It wasn't the same Mm -hmm. stakes. It wasn't the same game. And I knew how wrong that was. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of changing that. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I justify it is, you know, if you want to change the system, I think you need to get in there. Mm -hmm. I think you need to do it. And, you know, I've had the privilege of, of touring places around the country. I've had the privilege of touring places around the world and it doesn't have to be the way it is here. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can do things differently. What you outlined is I think mm. accurate and a very punitive vision mm. of how we deal with crime mm. in in this country. It's not like that everywhere else. Mm. We incarcerate more people than anybody else Where? in the entire world. Who is the model? So I mean, one of the places that I went to was Norway, mm. uh, and and toured their prison system and their entire focus yeah, instead in the of Michael Moore
0: def- documentary. Yeah,
2: instead of on dehumanizing people mm. and tagging them with scarlet letters and and this just whole idea that we can take. Let's face it. Who we prosecute mm-hmm. too more too uh, too much uh, is is people who are seriously traumatized, people who have mental illness, people who are addicted. I mean, that's the vast majority mm-hmm. of people. And then we, our whole idea mm-hmm. is based on like this system of deterrence that the more mm-hmm. we punish you then you'll snap out of those things. Mm. But we're trying to punish people who are already severely traumatized, have mental health issues and addiction issues into not having those mm. things. Like that's just the it's a terrible mm. strategy.
0: Yeah, that's like whipping somebody yeah. into not being addicted to opiates. Yeah. <laughs> right, I mean it's just it's just like the
2: worst, right? It's, and so you look at other places around the world and they don't appreciate they don't yeah. approach it that way. They say yeah. let's focus completely on rehabilitation and mm. normalization mm. and destigmatization and like yeah. let's step people back into society. So it doesn't half because it is the way it is yeah. it doesn't have to be the way yeah. it is and so i the think it's still part. hungry
1: so I, all of us clearly here whether running for office or running campaigns for office director of campaigns or whatever and no i'm a consultant now i know but former campaign director I have 12
0: campaigns anyways
1: now. um so we all agree with you know playing within the system. But there's a difference between being a prosecutor playing in the system and the ACLU playing in the system. And so question for you specifically, going from the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission, deciding to jump into the rabbit hole of evil
2: in order to create change. Like, how do you justify that? You know, when I I decided to do this, it was because I felt like there wasn't going to be another candidate that Mm. was going to approach it the Mm. same way i would that Mm. that i have a focus on you know using data using research changing the way Mm. we're doing these things my personal experiences and i thought that's why i should run for district attorney Mm. because i could just sit back and and complain about the other person who becomes da when i didn't run or i could get in there and try to change things myself that's what i opted to do
0: yeah thanks sorry for my boring question greg No, I just have one last question for you. We'll we'll let you get out of this hornet's nest. Um, (laughs) How did you, I mean, I had to do it because I was running campaigns at the time. You reminded me uh, uh, of this. How do you navigate the, what's a broader way to ask this question? How do you navigate things that emanate from the streets and that you might believe in, but that you know might be unpopular? And a great example of this might be defunding the police. Um, to the more extreme abolition, right? Like, um, I think nobody closes their eyes and thinks of utopia and then sees Eric Kramer running down the street Mm -hmm. with a fucking, like, gun. Like, nobody closes their eyes and thinks of that as utopia. So, but I think we can all accept that. Um, But how do you navigate these things that sometimes make sense but are not messaged well at the streets, right? And you're like, God, fuck, I wish I could give you my campaign manager Um, (laughs) so you could write on your sign something that, like, aligns with my policies instead because we're not that far apart. But what you're saying is unpopular. How do you navigate that?
2: Well, you know, I think I start with first trying to listen and understand what what are they trying to accomplish? Like, what is the goal? And, and so the I think the people
0: on the streets. The people on the streets. Okay.
2: And I think when I talk to people, and I remember uh, a man came up to me and he talked to me. He's like, hey, he's like, you got kids, Mike? I said, yeah. He's like, boy, I bet you, you know, you probably take your kids to the park, don't you? And I said, yeah, we love going to the park. And he says, you probably feel safe when you do that, don't you? And I said, yeah, I feel safe. I think Portland's a pretty safe community. This, he's a black man, he has black kids. And he's like, I don't. He's like, I don't feel safe. He's like, I will public safety means when i get to feel like what you feel like
0: because of cops or because of crime or both both both
2: both wow. and and you know i don't know that if he was a, if he would say he was defunded or anything else like yeah. that we didn't talk about that but it just to me it was like listening to what what does he want what does Bang. he want as public safety and and i think you know sometimes people want a, a quick solution or they 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 get caught up in one way of thinking we can still stop and say, what, what do you want? What are you trying to accomplish? And what am I trying to accomplish? Okay, so let's have that as our North Star. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about what can we do to, to get there. And I think a lot of times people aren't as far apart as they think that they are. Right. And, and some of it is just, you and understand that to smartly, too, and people want to invest smartly like I, you know, personally, I think it, you get what you pay for. Right. I, you know, if you want a, a world class criminal justice system, you should invest in that system like that is a thing. I, I believe that you can actually get more diversion, better outcomes, more thoughtful, you know, ways that not we necessarily charge these cases, more tear gas, but not necessarily more tear gas. Uh, so, I mean, I think, but I think that's why, you know, so it's like, what did people want? Well, they want less tear gas. They want to not be pulled over and harassed because they're driving while black. They want different things that, that actually make them and contribute to their public safety. So it's the question then becomes, okay. How, and the, one of the solutions, they're like, well, if we starve the system and shrink it, they'll have less time to do, do those things. My thought is well let's let's talk about what are the data goals hasn't bared that out at the data out. has not bear that and <laughs> and I would say as I said as the point I made earlier like unfortunately when people are overworked they're stressed they they make worse decisions I
0: mean I, I, wh- what I've said to people is do you think if Derek Chauvin had less money in the police budget that he would have took his knee up right like it's hard to say yes to that I mean Cameron has this great point that has sort of become a theme of this podcast that I don't know that he knows, but that black people are double victimized by things. We talked about it with the COVID Mm -hmm. vaccine where we have been victimized by Tuskegee and stuff like that, right? And then we are then also like, become not vaccine deniers, but more skeptical of the vaccine. And then we die more of COVID, right? So like the original harm we have to suffer, and then we have to suffer Mm -hmm. the consequences of that harm. And I think that same thing is basically what you're talking about.
2: Absolutely, you know, one of the, the biggest things and the reason that I brought Ernie Warren, a career defense attorney into my office, is because I think at the core of this is that we've lost the trust. We've lost the trust of the community. I have people all the time. They're like, "I'm not calling the police," and I'm not going to like. You know, we're looking at different cases and trying to get people. Black people,
0: yeah, absolutely. In mostly white town,
2: yeah. You know, but Sucks. It's- <laughs> but how do how do we bring back how do we bring back trust? What are the things that we can do, or not even bring back? I mean, quite frankly, how can we build trust uh, for some folks?
0: Why is that not minority rule? Then, if we're talking about black people who don't feel safe, which I think. We, in Portland, want to make a lot of policies to make black Portlanders better. And, like, I think you, I, Cameron, would argue you Mm -hmm. raise the bottom. You raise all boats. But, like, most people in Portland, like, probably do feel comfortable calling 911, right? And so how do you communicate to those people? A lot of people don't.
2: Yeah, I mean... You know, I think for us, especially, and now i it back to gun crimes, because that's where yeah. we're seeing a lot of people sure. who are very reticent to participate in a prosecution, talk to police and everything yeah. else like that. Like, you know, they need to know, first and foremost, for them, am I safe? Right. And, and they don't feel safe. Right. And until we, can, until we can account for their safety, care about their safety, and then actually make them feel safe, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're not going to trust the system. That makes all of us less safe. So you know we need to. I think that's a fundamental thing we need to to build on is is to build trust uh, into what we're doing.
0: Well, you're a great interview for a politician.
2: <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> so thank you, District Attorney <laughs> Mike Schmidt, for being here today
1: on our podcast. Um, we did not pull any punches, and yeah, but you, you took have it all. <laughs> proven you have proven why you won by a landslide. And I always love ending our interviews on a human note, and that's especially important because you are an elected official, and too often. Our jerk citizens will see you as a robot, as an object. And it is always important to, to remind folks that every elected official in our country, these are real people with real lives. So let's end on a human note. And I'm curious to, to hear from you. How have you been finding joy throughout what's been a stressful term and a stressful two years?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm blessed with uh, two young boys. Uh, I find a lot of my joy there. Which one's your favorite? <laughs> just, oh, my God. I feel the, bad for every parent who <laughs> has to come on this show because you make
1: it uncomfortable. I'm uh, a parent.
0: I don't you, have a favorite. I have a favorite based on times of day, day. <laughs> and
2: yeah, and it goes, it nine, goes up and down. to has and, and Who has it? it. Um, <laughs> but I, I find a lot of joy with, uh, with walking. Uh, uh, going for walks with, with my boys, my cool. wife, and and we walk around our neighborhood. Uh, you know, every single day we go for walks, and uh, and so that is great. And you know, you know, as uh, in the professional role, I have people come up to me on the street, uh, you know, regularly when they recognize me and, and say, and cut "How you much?" Out. No, that's you know I probably out of sushi restaurant? out of fifty interactions, um, I think that's only happened to me once. Oh, uh, and wow. and forty nine have been people just saying, hey, either hang in there, you're doing great. It's a tough job, we understand that, like we support you. And so you know, it's like you see the online stuff and the vitriolic, and you know, maybe if you invite me back, we can read mean tweets or something. But <gasps> oh, <laughs> I wanna- we need to do that segment. But <laughs> but that's not that's not actually my experience. We'll do Hot we'll just, yeah. we'll send it to,
1: to us and we'll you read not.
2: But that's not in reality. Um, I think people recognize that this is a hard job, it's not going to turn on a dime. And, and I've gotten a lot of support from people that always lifts me up when people just say something nice to me and just say, Hey, thank you for doing uh, what you do. And that happens way, way more often than not. And well, I, that from helps. us, thank you.
0: Cause I think it I need that ha- kind of job. Cause I don't get has, that much positivity. And I'm well, not even it, elected. I, I do. I do. <laughs> and it, and it, it just feels wonderful. Um, but, the, uh, but no, honestly, thank you. Um, it's, you know, I was proud to support you. Not that my support fucking matters, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but you I'll don't even live you. in the area. I, I do. Um, but you I'll could not you vote for time. him. I, okay, That's what I,
1: I meant. You I, don't live in the area. But, but I did. Oh, kidding. yeah, that's I'm right. Kidding. You, <laughs> you changed <laughs> your address. That's no, right. No no, that was 2016.
0: Okay. <laughs> Statute of limitations. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get on this for voter fraud. Um, pl- uh, we usually do a, the plug your shit. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if you have a Crime Stoppers. <laughs> 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 to plug. Where do people find you and report <laughs> about that? Or Crime Stoppers. I don't care. Whatever it is. <laughs> well,
2: uh, so we are going to be uh, rolling out a bunch of data dashboards. We're working with a university. Uh, out of Florida who's worked with other offices across the country. And by the end of this year, I imagine we're going to have 20 or 30 dashboards out there. By the end of my first term, we'll have 50. And so people, I want to make this the most transparent system that exists in Oregon. And so go check out our website, uh, bookmark it, stay up on it because we're going to keep rolling stuff out there. Uh, MCDA.US.
1: Great. Thank you, Mike Schmidt. Stay lovely, neighbors. your phone, Greg. Greg, we have a hot take to do and this is documented and going in the hot take. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Stay committed. We just had an amazing interview about a very, very juicy story that you'll have to wait three weeks to hear about, but it's going to be so worth it. Oh Alright, so God. let's talk about Mike Schmidt who has enough scandal and stuff by itself, so like stop focusing on that, even though it's juicy. This is pretty <laughs> juicy. But no, yeah, spoilers. Okay, 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 no spoilers. No okay,
0: spoilers. Okay. No, this is good. Mike Schmidt's story is also juicy.
1: (laughs) This is terrible. You know, (laughs) I was coming into this interview ready to say, like, the best guest ever, and you just ruined it.
0: Go. You brought it up. Okay, go.
1: You're the one on your phone. No, Mike Schmidt is the best guest to date. Okay, so what I had scripted was, wasn't he just the perfect (laughs) guest for us? You know, for you, he was uh, a progressive lawyer, so that's perfect down your alley, and for me... He was a straight up hottie. So like when we
0: <laughs> This is what you had scripted. <laughs> yeah, <could> we-
1: <laughs> like honestly, could we have had a better guest for us?
0: No, it's pretty good. And you guys went <laughs> to high school together. Crazy coincidence. <laughs> What's your uh, reaction to the interview? One, I mean, I would all envy that job.
1: Right? That I would like- <laughs> do that job. I still stand behind my final questions to him about like you're basically supporting the the evil process but
0: again some people they they want to get into the belly of the beast well it would be better it's obviously better to have people like mike schmidt than even his predecessor or like you know what we have had what we have in many other counties i agree i just know that that's that's not me yeah um someone's got to do it I know, and I again, I get it. I get it. There's not many people that I would pick that would be better at it, right? Um, and but it is like a hard line, and like, uh, and I like that he was willing to go into it of the conflict, you know, internally and externally of being somebody who has seen what this system has done to people. And then the thing is, what's really hard about that job is. Because you are getting what comes to your desk mm-hmm. and you can't really necessarily impact what police are sending you, you are getting, you know, things that have already been impacted by race and mm-hmm. inequality and economic inequality and stuff by the time it gets to you. Yeah. And you know and you you sometimes those people have committed crimes, mm-hmm. but like, you know, I've said this a lot with when it comes to like drugs is an easy one you know people in white neighborhoods and kids and stuff are smoking just as much pot um i mean statistics show this and mm-hmm. sometimes on worse drugs like cocaine are doing mm-hmm. much more or you know when i grew up molly and mdma and in ecstasy and shit like that like well i i'm still upset because you were
1: dissing my lingo what was the lingo What i was Talk about packing heat. Uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it, what is the new hip term for packing heat? It just sounds, what is <laughs> nobody?
0: I don't know if that has ever been like actually. It's like the Hello, Rock Fellow Kids meme. Like, what is it?
1: Uh, got a strap. That sounds so sexual. To it me. does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to skip with packing heat. <laughs> uh, but let's talk seriously about gun violence. The part that I wanted to talk about that was really harrowing, I wanted to actually pull up the story that I had mentioned around the mentor who killed somebody. And this was a New York Times article that came out last year. But the way that that article started, New York Times, fuck, where is it? Okay. So the way this article started, come on, New York Times. It started with an afternoon stop at the gas station. Two customers began exchanging angry stares near the pumps outside. <laughs> and no one can explain exactly why. That led to an argument, and it escalated quickly as one of them pulled a gun, and they struggled over it, according to the police, because of that the interaction. The
0: pulled the gun, or...? No,
1: apparently the other guy pulled the gun. Oh, so this
0: guy's still in the clear, it feels like.
1: But still, so one of the things that the police... Uh, said in this article. Let me try to pull that shit up.
0: I mean, if somebody else pulls a gun on you, is that really a homicide?
1: I mean, like... Well, basically what the article said was that instead of us responding to incidences of gang violence, mm-hmm. we're now having talk about surprise encounters that we never have seen ever before. Right. And, like, that's the, the point of, of this article was that you know the gun violence that we're seeing today is unprecedented it is nothing that we've ever seen before and covid is a huge part of it like the social emotional behavioral health issues that we're dealing with right now is leading to this crisis in the street
0: you know i think and there's been studies that kind of go on both sides of this uh but i you know just i i feel like the pandemic certainly has something to do with it and we're on pace now in portland to have the deadliest year ever in portland in the last time was in the 80s where we saw like the crack epidemic yep. and stuff like that um there it seems to me that the pandemic has to be a main cause of this and i think the we talked about this when we met on the weekend but the devaluation of life mm-hmm. um and and in And not having a lot of other outlets, not being able to go to other places, and then also the economic anxiety and um, stuff that has happened from the pandemic. You know, like, we talk about you have to put kids in programs or have programs for kids and stuff. When kids can't do anything else, this kind of happens. And also when they're reading and hearing about death and experiencing death, especially Mm -hmm. in the black community from Mm COVID-19, like, it sort of... You know, you value life less in all of the conflicts or uh tragedies that have happened in human history, from like the plague all the way to World War Two and stuff. Like there's always a, a increase in, in how or decrease in how people value life.
1: Yeah.
0: It's harrowing.
1: It's harrowing. So um grateful that, you know, Mike Schmidt and many others are working on it. And yeah, you know, I hope folks that are listening like Don't ignore the gun violence epidemic that's happening in Portland.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting also where Mike Schmidt, like when you say working on it, he can only work on it from the end of... And this is what we talked about, from the end of the tracks, basically. Like, it's not... He can't, you know invest in housing and stuff like in jobs and programs and stuff that's not in his purview
1: yeah it's rough you know i think this is one of those areas where like yes we have a lot of critique of the police and of criminal justice systems um but you know we're we're having to this is like someone gets in a car crash and you have to send to the er everyone hates the er er's cost a shit ton of money this is the worst place to do like health work but if we're going to save someone from dying, yeah, the ER has to be my open. House. Right. And so, yeah, <laughs> I feel like, you know, right now, D, you know, D.A. Schmidt is an ER doctor when it comes to gun violence. Right. And I'm glad that he's there.
0: Yeah, it's it. You know, you want good doctors in the ER, but you want less people going to the ER, too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Boom. I love that analogy. OK, so where do we start? Uh, do you want to start with the op ed? Do you want to start with the let's start with the op ed?
0: They like, all go into each other, but I think that's the right <sighs> chronological order. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, Mingus Map. You know, I'm I'm gonna say we want you on the show, but you're making it so hard.
0: I fuck with Mingus the person. Um, this op-ed was probably not it. Not yeah. Um, I, and just from a like strategic standpoint, I'm just like what is the actual goal of this op-ed? Like, what was it meant to accomplish? But yeah, tell our listeners what the op-ed is. Honestly, I don't know how to explain this,
1: but there was an op-ed that just came out. Let me pull up the date. Chris, do you have the date? September 19th. So just a couple of days ago, but of course you're listening to this in the far future. Um, So about a month ago, this op-ed has come out, and he starts it off... With a, a, a really, really critical point that he needed to make. As a black man? since No, <laughs> since January 1, I have served on the Portland City Council. Just so you knew that. A job that obliges me to tell the people of Portland the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. As history shows.
1: Yes. So that, <laughs> we needed that. We needed that you know um, setting to be painted for us. It's Por- illegal to lie to a cop. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Portland, we have a
1: gun <laughs> violence crisis, which we can all agree on. Right. So... You know, okay, so just stating facts at the beginning, really important. And basically... It goes downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard for me when we get to this place where he says, as a black man, I can attest that it's... So- oh, wait, actually, I need to start earlier than that. So he's talking about the Portland police. And uh, Portland and regional officials have a bad habit of vilifying. So Portland. So Accusing the entire city of Portland and regional officials of having a bad represent habit Portland. of vilifying our police for political gain. So wait, the entire city is getting political gain by vil- Anyways... Too many plot holes. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: police are people who have dedicated their careers to serving the public. But wait, wait, wait! There's not a plot hole. This all checks out because, as a city commissioner, <laughs> he's obliged to tell the people the truth. He has,
1: <laughs> what nine months of experience as a city commissioner? So it then says, as a black man in Portland, I can attest that it sometimes it is sometimes difficult to love and serve a city that does not love you back and does not have your back. Right. I didn't know this was a love letter. To Portland police officers.
0: Well, you know, it's really hard to love a city who just elected you uh, with a pretty convincing margin. And like I, it just when you say it doesn't the city again, the entire city doesn't love you back. You just got elected. No, bro. No, no, no. He's talking about the police. So he's saying to dear police officers with love it oh, is- that it's hard for the police when the city doesn't love them back. Mm hmm. They don't live here.
1: Oh, I can see that he's talking about, like, He's talking about from his experience, but to sympathize yeah. with the police as well. So but he's talking about both for himself and the police.
0: Oh, they got a lot in common, yeah. Which
1: is weird, because <laughs> he is saying that the city doesn't love him back, but then he actually goes into a later part of the op-ed, and he says, crap, where is it? But the police don't even go here. Like, they're not from here at all. This black man, so again, he just s- accused Portland of not loving him. Then he says, this black man feels the love and embrace of the truth that black lives matter. And then says, however, willfully ignoring the fact that gang violence is devastating Portland's black community is itself a form of racism.
0: Okay, okay, okay. So the elected officials that he accused of getting political gain, right, what elected official in that part of the op-ed, are you thinking that he's targeting here? Because I'm thinking yeah. probably who's, Commissioner Hardesty, who is black.
1: I, I, I'm just trying to understand who's ignoring the epidemic of gang violence. Yeah,
0: and nobody has ever come out and said, gangs don't exist, and, like, nobody has ever said that.
1: Yeah. This, this op-ed did not make me feel reflected as a black man, you know, he says, one of the heartening aspects of being a black man in an overwhelmingly white town is feeling my neighbor's well-intentioned commitment to eradicating racism. And I'm just like, all right,
0: that's your experience as a black man. I, I don't feel like this. I, like, do you think it's relevant? I mean, I'll just throw it yeah. out there for people to dwell on on their own. I don't know if it's completely relevant, but this is somebody who also did receive the endorsement of the Portland Police Union. Like, I don't think he's just, like, doing, like, I don't think he's giving back to them because they've given to him. No. But, like, I do think that, you know, they endorsed him because they're in line on many things. Sounds like they got a romantic relationship. There's a lot of... Love in here. A lot of Innie and Outies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're packing meat for each other. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, I think the, the, the conversation around defund and refund the police is a, a, a very complex, nuanced conversation. And have that perspective. I think this was a huge disappointment to have the first, you know, black man elected to city council in in a decade to use his identity as a black man in this way and really completely erased all of the real pain that black men in this city are having around police. So it was just really weird to, to forget why we're having these conversations in the first place about racial justice, because black men are suffering. And yet this article doesn't talk about any of that. It's really talking about as a black man, I love... How many times
0: was George White Floyd Portland. mentioned? Zero. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> right. zero. Yeah. Which you is know. how this all jumped off.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it is, is really, really disappointing to see uh, that we're ha- at a historic place of diversity. And it definitely feels like we have to be careful about how we are talking about our identities and making sure that we don't fall into these traps of being tokens. Because that's the issue the black community in portland is very divided on how to right. move forward and respond to gang violence because a lot of folks again while we do need er doctors we need folks who are addressing the crisis as we goes but we have never ever ever actually had a real plan of action and commitment to addressing the upstream the down yeah, the upstream problems And that's what we've been crying for and demanding and organizing for since we've been in Portland. And so it is very upsetting that the voices of the community that have been trying to be heard for so long to address this gun violence epidemic, which starts way before anybody gets their hand on a gun, instead of talking about that, which black people overwhelmingly want to talk about and want to see real support, you're using your identity to silence all of that. And ignoring the fact that that is what's happening in the black community, the epidemic is much bigger than the gun violence. That is just a symptom of the deferred justice that city of Portland and this country has refused to show to us. And
0: once you get to the point where you're willing to point a gun at somebody and pull the trigger, a lot has gone into that, right? Like, and unless your explanation is, yeah, black people are violent or criminals by nature and stuff like that, then which is racist, right, and I think that is some people's explanation, Uh, then your explanation has to be that there was a lot that went into this. And so that's what we need to address, not the end, like, result. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking on that, there's a lot happening in public safety uh, since the op-ed was released. So uh, there's going to be a vote. It's going to be – it will happen by the time that this podcast comes out around – The Portland Street response and the Portland Street response, again, was a pilot that was in Lentz for about 12 months. And there was a big fight that happened earlier this year where three to one, the men on our city council voted against uh, increasing support and scaling the program. Um, And now we're doing a much smaller version moving forward and we're going to see what happens. But that's, uh, you know, you know, originally in May, they were looking at three point six million dollars to scale portland street response and now the amended budget is to spend a million dollars
0: and i mean this is something that uh at least in theory is like widely supported um by the community um even the people who are um you know have different opinions than us on gun violence and stuff, have said, you know, yeah, there's a different response in policing and police aren't perfect, and this is, like, that solution, that um, not every instance has to be a police officer sent to somebody's house, right? Yeah. And maybe an armed person with a gun, the same person that pulled you over uh, over texting and driving, or the same person who pulled you over for no reason, mm-hmm. or the same person who just uh, was at a protest beating people, or the mm-hmm. same person who shot somebody in a different instance, might not be the right person to intervene in a mental health crisis yeah. or domestic violence. Uh, and that just seems like common sense. And all Americans agree what we should send to any situation is experts. If you were having a surgery, you would want Somebody who's an expert on that surgery to perform the surgery, uh, not a cop, right? Like, so cops aren't equipped for all situations in our society, and that's like an easy thing to admit, you would think. Yeah,
1: complicated, and I'm at least glad to see that City Council is supporting an expansion of Portland Street response, but we definitely need to make sure that we don't see what happened again earlier this year where Portland Street response has been piloted for a very long time. It definitely, and again, we're dealing with a lot right now in this community, but given the amount of tension towards public safety, I really hope that we don't have to wait another six months to see investment in scaling this program. Cause it has a lot of potential both in Portland, but to inspire new models of public safety across the country. Stay lovely neighbors. Goodbye. Goodbye. This episode of Your Neighborhood Black Friends has been brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th and Washington. Learn more about Kelly's at kellysolympian.com. Financial support is also provided by Underdog Law Office. Learn more at underdoglawyer.com. Our music this episode was by Donovan Breakwater. Our branding design and graphics are by Lindsay Hoft. This episode was recorded by Brian Woolen and mixed by Naleen Silva. And we are produced by me, Chris Walsmith. Thank you so much to this week's guest district attorney, Mike Schmidt, for coming in. Thank you to our Patreon for holding us down. And of course, thank you to everyone out there for listening. See you next week.